Today's New Testament reading comes as has done off and on for the last few weeks from the Gospel of Luke. And I mentioned, I think the week before last, that most scholars consider the Gospel of Luke, amongst its other roles, to be a kind of manual for how to be a good disciple. So there's lots of, of things in it that sort of come as, as elements that um, don't necessarily tie together um, but, but come one after the other because they were important, it seemed to the authors, that these were the kinds of things Jesus said frequently and they needed to be in there to be given to a generation of people who wouldn't be with Jesus uh, as a human being because um, they had come after his death and resurrection, which includes us. So this, this section. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure is in heaven where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. For the word of God in Scripture... For the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. One of the things, obviously, that links these little statements and vignettes together is that they, um, they're about being ready. The Son of Man, or the human one, which is another way of describing Jesus use of that term, he often described himself as the son of man, meaning a, a, a human being or a human being fully alive is another way of describing the way Jesus may have meant by this term, will come at an unexpected hour. So you've got to be ready, but ready for what? What is Jesus actually talking about? Well, one of the things we think he might have been talking about, because it appears a lot in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, is the idea that there will come an end to the world as we know it. Uh, now, we know that the sun is going to burn out in 150-something billion years. So you don't have to, don't worry yet, but, but it'll be gone and then everything in our solar system will be gone, as happens uh, all throughout the universe. 
But there's a sense within the Bible that there will come an end time uh, at a moment when, um, uh, when everything will be sort of wrapped up into one organised system, one thing that it all makes sense. Uh, we call that sometimes the second coming. It's not ever mentioned in the Bible. There's a sort of an allusion to it in the letter to the Hebrews uh, in, the old, in the New Testament, but it's not, it's not a particular theme. So it's not very clear. Matthew's Gospel talks a lot about a thing called the Day of Judgment, which might be at the end of all time. It also might be at the end of a human life when each of us die. It's not that clear and John's gospel seems to talk about it in a different way and it's the idea that the judgment of the world, if if such a thing is going to happen, has already happened in the life of Jesus and that that, that has already taken place. So there's lots of different models and ways of thinking about what happens at the end. There's other readings, particularly in the Old Testament, that don't seem to indicate an end at all. Things go on in the world of God for eternity, which is never-ending. But whatever we know about it, this end of things, whether it's your and my end individually or as a, as a collective, we don't need to be afraid. That's the first sign, the first line. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the idea of not being afraid is really central to the Gospel of Luke. It's right at the beginning when Zechariah uh, has this enormous turmoil in his wife Elizabeth, uh, out of all expectation becomes pregnant and he gets a message from God and the first thing he hears is, do not be afraid. Mary discovers that she's pregnant and the first message she gets from God is, do not be afraid, Mary. There's shepherds on the side of a hill in the, in the traditional Christmas story which comes out of Luke. And the first thing they hear, do not be afraid. Jesus says it a number of times to his disciples. Do not be afraid. So whatever is going to happen is not something that is to be feared. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's this strong sense where the kingdom in Luke's gospel and, and, and to some degree in Matthew's is the idea of the world as it really ought to be. The world of harmony and balance. The way God's always intended it to be. And that's the world that God is bringing into being. A world of justice and respect. A world of welcome and freedom. All the things that we, we cherish and long for. And it's gifted to us. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the whole essence of all of these statements about being ready. Because when you live without fear, because everything has been given to you as a gift, then you might imagine that you could do what Jesus says next, sell your possessions and give alms. Lots of the things we have, we have as a bulwark against fear. I like the fact that I can go into my house and lock the door and no one will come in unless I invite them. And it's a safe place. And I certainly meet lots of people who don't have that experience. We often deal with people here on our side who are homeless. They don't have that. So it's a real thing. 
But sometimes our fear is so great that we think we can fix it by more and more stuff. And what if there's a sense in it? Not that Jesus is commanding us to sell everything we've got and give it away. And if he is, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I mean, maybe I should, but I'm not. Let's be, we might as well be honest with you. We're not doing that. We're all fortunate enough to go home and hopefully each of us will be able to go home to a reasonable uh, a meal that we've got in our house and we've got somewhere to live and we don't know whether that will go on forever but right now we have that we know many people don't we're not going to give that away but what if what's being invite we're being invited to do is to become looser with all that stuff because we're not frightened we're not crushed by the world around us but we have a, an inner resilience that our lives have meaning and purpose given to us as a gift as the world itself is given to us it's a, a, a it's a sense of being really solid and belonging this is the way jesus seemed to live you can begin to live a world where god's you can begin to live a life where god's world is already present and active Jesus seemed to live a life as if the things that God said about the world, that it was a place of justice and fairness, it was a place of welcome, and it was a place of peace, was already present. There was lots of evidence that it wasn't, but he lived as if it was. So he was constantly involved in healing and in caring and in listening. And his attitude to authority, whether it was the religious authorities or the authorities of the Roman Empire, seemed to be not so much defiance, and there were communities within Jesus' time, and not long after Jesus' death, there was another revolt, as there had been a hundred years before. So it was a very tumultuous time, and there were people who were taking up arms against the Romans, uh, and, and uh, were trying to re-establish a Jewish homeland in a community. Jesus doesn't seem to be involved in that. It's as almost as if Jesus is teaching, treating the authorities as irrelevant. As if there's so much a a deeper thing going on that they can do what they will do and it will be terribly damaging to people and Jesus will, as where he can, offer healing and comfort. But in his own life, those things are not the, the real things that are going on. They're not the real deep meaning of the world. And just as we prayed earlier that, the, that while we're doing whatever it is we do, the world is changing. And if you haven't checked, go outside and see a bush. Most likely it'll already have buds on it somewhere in your yard or in our yard, here, anywhere. It's already happening. And Jesus seemed to live a life that just connected to that already existing world of God. And when you live without fear, I think you can then do what Jesus says next. Make purses for yourself that don't wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes and no moth destroys. It's that sense that you can see a shape of yourself that is enduring, that is solid and real, that is resilient, not hard. Not, I don't care what happens, I'm not, you know, nothing affects me. Not that. But a sense of when terrible things happen, as they do, you know, we, we're at the moment, some mornings I'm frightened to open my computer and read whatever happens to be in the news because of what's been happening, you know, day after day in different places. It's a sense of resilience, open to the world, but, but resilient that it doesn't 
somehow it doesn't impact you at the deep level. There's a deepness there. You know, a little bit, I guess, like a storm on the ocean. doesn't matter how strong that storm is. You can go deep enough in the ocean to a place where it doesn't touch. It's that kind of sense, I think, that there's a sense of this making purses for yourself that don't wear out. You can establish a life for yourself within the world of God where who you truly are doesn't get damaged. I don't know if you've ever read the classic work of Viktor Frankl, one of the survivors of, uh, I can't remember whether it was Auschwitz or Birkenau, one of the refugee camps in the, in the Second World War, and he wrote a book trying to understand how some people survived and some people didn't. And it wasn't the physically strongest, it wasn't those who could get the most food. There, none of those things were the marker. For him, there was a, a, an inner sense of resilience that the, the evil around them couldn't touch the deep part of who they were. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which, if you've not read it, is one of the classics of the 20th century that changed um, the understanding of psychology as a, as a, uh, a teaching within, within our culture and, and gave a, a resonance that there's something at the core of human beings that if it's destroyed, doesn't matter whether they've got enough food or whether they're freed from the camps. And it doesn't matter equally. They, they can live fully somehow deep within inside themselves. And he, he survived. And many people that he was with survived. And this is what he determined was at the heart of it. A deep self, a deep certainty that cannot be stolen. I think that's what one of the things Jesus is on about in this text. And then he says... Be dressed for action. Have your lamps lit. Be ready. Be prepared. And I always thought this is a really strange thing. Be prepared for the unexpected. Which is really hard. I can prepare lunch when I go home because I'll hopefully have a rough idea of what I'm going to cook and make. Or mostly I just look in the fridge and think, oh, what am I going to do with these three things? Um, well, that one's already off, so what am I going to do with these two things? And then try and sort of bolt something together that everyone else will be willing to eat. Um, but if there's a sense where you're preparing for, you know, you've got some sense. But Jesus is saying a sense of being prepared for the unexpected. And how do you do that? How do you live without fear? And, and live without fear and still expect the unexpected? Because many times the unexpected is a terrible thing. You think of the shootings that we've witnessed from such a long way away um, in Dayton, Ohio and, and in El Paso, Texas. Those people were shopping. They are just doing what we do every day. I mean, they were shopping in Walmart, which in itself is a small hell if you've ever had to visit a Walmart, but still. Um, they were shopping. They were just trying to do the normal things, trying to get by, trying to... And out of the clear blue sky... A, terrible unexpected thing happens but one of the key elements of Luke's gospel is this idea and and in the book of Acts which is Luke's second volume so Luke's work is a two volume work the gospel we call the gospel of Luke and the book we call the Acts of the Apostles and in both of those there's this strong sense of the world being turned upside down the things that we normally understand as to be real actually turn out to be not. And things that we think are not possible turn out to be the most real things. It's an upside-down world. It's a kind of Alice in Wonderland understanding of the world. It's a strange look at it. 
The unexpected might happen in an upside down world and it might be something unexpected that is wonderful. Like this insane story where a master comes home from a feast, a wedding feast, and he sees his servants, his slaves, alert and ready, which is their job. It's hardly a big deal, you know. That's just what they're required to do. And then he puts on an apron, gets them to sit down, and he gives them a feed. That's about as upside down as you could possibly get in a world of slaves and masters. The world of God is an upside down world. It's the world where the things that are supposed to be real, money, power, masculinity, patriarchy, all turns out to be not the real things after all. Turns out that there's some other power in the world that is different. It's in, in fact, you could talk about it not as much as power but as energy. You may have noticed out here, if you haven't, have a look as you go to morning tea. The, the area where that used to be the playground for the Norwood Community Crèche, which is now in the Mans, uh, we're going to turn it into a park. And it's taken us a little while, but we're getting there. But you'll notice if you look at it, there's grass growing everywhere. On the, the ground covering that, that earth for about a decade was AstroTurf, plastic sheet completely clamped down on it for 10 years. We pulled it off and within two weeks the grass is going boing everywhere. It's a different kind of power, isn't it? It's, a, it's more an energy that can't be, can't be put down. And we could probably have a... David's convinced that if we spray it all with Roundup it all, we could kill it all off. I don't know. Even Roundup. I reckon it might come back and I know we could argue about this, David, and we might have to. I don't know. But there's an energy that's better than all that power that just comes through all the time. And if we're aware of it, like if we go outside and have a quick look at the trees that are budding, it's a different kind of world. And when you live without fear, because... It is God's good pleasure to invite you in, to bring you into the world the way God sees it and the way Jesus lived it. We can live in hopeful expectation. I don't know what the second coming means. As I said earlier, there's all kinds of uh, permutations and nuances in the Bible. So if anyone tells you this is what happens and that's what happens... Yes, they could find that in the scriptures and they might well be right, but they can't be certain because there's lots of other things that are being said. But if we take just this text, the things we can be certain of are that God is constantly inviting us into a world of justice and love and compassion and welcome and that if we live in that world, as Jesus did, we can live with honesty and with joy and with hopefulness and with resilience and we begin to see it differently we begin to live it differently and as we begin to live it differently it kind of becomes different we know that how much we can affect the way we are as people by the way we think and talk and you know I was joking at the beginning of the service stop complaining about the weather but it's not really a joke is it 
Because we can fall into patterns where we complain and complain. And even if we're, we're sort of half joking, it can become a pattern. And, and, and neuroscience is now showing us that if we continue with certain patterns, we actually rewire our brains to be a certain way. And who wants to rewire a brain to being a complaining machine? I don't. I do it, but I don't want to. I think Jesus is inviting us in this world, in this passage, into this world of God. Don't be afraid, little flock. It is God's great pleasure to give you the kingdom.